Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another edition of uh, Jackman Radio. I'm very excited today. We are joined by, um, you know, a New England institution, really, a legend, uh, Mr. Chachi Lopret. He is the host of the famous Breakfast with the Beatles, as well as the Get Back to the Beatles podcast. And I think he's known as, you know, New England's premier Beatles historian. Would that be a fair assessment, Chachi? Mike, it's a pleasure to be here. And I appreciate you asking me. But uh, yes, that is true. Uh, kind of um, my Beatles Br Breakfast with the Beatles show airs in three New England states. And uh, yeah, I've, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm known as New England's Beatles historian. And I, uh, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, my show's been on for a while. I've been on the radio for over 40 years i hate to give that number but that is the case yes <laughs> wow that's wild yeah i mean i grew up um in the framingham ashland area for the first 10 years of my life and then i've been in new hampshire since the mid since the mid wow. to late 90s so as far back as i can remember chachi i've heard you on the radio um talking about the beatles and i've heard your name and a lot of people i told um that I was having you on all said the same thing so and, and you're you're for your mass boy too right I was born in Boston, raised in Cambridge, and uh, I go to Ashland often. And uh, one of my favorite rib joints there, Fireflies Ribs, is in uh, Ashland, uh, Marlboro area. So oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm familiar with the, the and it's, I didn't had no idea you were from from Massachusetts. So it's a pleasure to talk to you. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's um, uh, my both my parents uh, grew up in Mass. My mom's from uh, Somerville, and my dad grew up in Dorchester. My word, I grew up in Cambridge, next town over to Somerville. I used to bring my uh, my newspaper money to Somerville when I was a kid, when I delivered newspapers. So. Wow, yeah, that's awesome. So, so I was kind of reading on your website, um, you know, that talks about Breakfast with the Beatles. You've, you've been like, you were an instant fan since you saw them in 64 on Ed Sullivan. Is that is that kind of how the story goes? I'm a first generation Beatles fan. Uh, I had two older brothers and a sister, so I was sucked into that vacuum uh, at the young age of seven, but I distinctly remember it and uh, it, it was life changing. And I remember it also because my brother had an accident where he fell, you know, from an Italian family, right? So they're all growing tomatoes in the backyard and he fell and one of the tomato posts went into his eye, spent the night at the hospital. And they wheeled the television in so he could watch it and while we watched it at home. So, yeah, it was uh, amazing. I wanted to be Ringo from that moment. Oh, cool. Yeah, Ringo. I, I became a drummer because of Ringo. I, I've been <laughs> playing drums for most of my life since I was like 13. And Ringo Ringo was my biggest inspiration and still is as far yeah, as I, drums. I loved the fact that um, that he was up on that pedestal and having fun. And I was attracted to that. And I have a Ludwig kit in our home downstairs in the living room. So, yeah, I've been a drummer. I haven't played in a long time because I'm in radio and doing all these other things. But nonetheless, I was a drummer first. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, me too. And I've played in, you know, several bands over the years. And I always push for Beatles covers. We uh, <laughs> we currently do um, Don't Don't Let Me Down, um, Hey Jude, and uh, um, I Want to Hold Your Hand. So. Well, I will tell you, one of my favorite songs to play is Don't Let Me Down. I think Ringo really had a command of the hi-hat, and he had, I've interviewed, as you know, I interviewed him a lot of times, and uh, we talked about his drumming, and he certainly was talented, or lefty playing on a right-hand kit, and that's what made him special, and very unique drum style, and, uh, you know, for a while he was un unappreciated, or underappreciated, I should say. But I think through the years, he's he's become an acclaimed drummer and 
so many musicians, you know, uh, reference him in their formation of being a drummer. So good for Ringo. Yeah, there's a great video that came out a few years back. It's it's got his you know his famous kit, and they got like Dave Grohl playing it, Chad Smith. Um, I think Abe Laboreal Jr. is in the video. All these amazing drummers who were inspired by Ringo, and it, it is great to see not so much the validation, but that other drummers who are highly respected are are, are vouching for Ringo and saying, "Yeah, are you kidding me? This guy's one of the, the greatest of all time." And I, I, I like the description of him as a lyrical drummer, like. Mm -hmm. His drums go along with the, with the vocals and, and, you know, the words in, in the song. And um, it's just a style, you know, unto itself. And uh, I say to people, you know, try, try emulating that. You think, you know, you think Ringo is like, you know, basic or not too, not too, his techniques are not too hard. Try, try doing um, Day Tripper or, you know, A Day in the Life or the drums to um, Ticket to Ride. I mean, Ticket yeah. to Ride, that, that, that drum line. Brilliant amazing. drum. Brilliant. And he was, he was a, brilliant subtle drummer and in my conversations with him uh he said once i knew when not to hit the drum and so his subtlety was always top notch and for the greatest band ever he was perfect he fit in perfectly and yeah try playing strawberry fields i mean beetle tribute band drummers <laughs> practice that over and over again or rain which he said many times was his favorite drumming song uh, and he hated uh, he hated solos, but nonetheless, he lifted the Abbey Road album with that brilliant solo. So good for him. Yeah, that's true. He's he he's not too big on solos, and I have to say, as a drummer myself, I'm not a huge solo guy either. I don't really. I, I like to keep it. I like to keep the beat for the band and not not be too flashy. And um, yeah, I like that. It's it's what you don't play sometimes, you know, because a lot of musicians obviously want to have the spotlight and want the attention on them including drummers and mm -hmm. they'll do they'll go for the solo and that certainly has its place but um yeah. I, know, I, I, I wasn't a big fan of drum solos and the rest of the band would you know go off stage and have a beer or something and you'd sit there and go hurry up but no i'm not a big drum solo guy either uh i want to hear the songs and the, the drummer you know leads the way so good for good for ringo again yeah, and I, I like the way Studio Two does it. I actually I saw them at Fireflies, and I think you were hosting an event there that was probably oh, yeah. back in 2017 or 18 or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. So, speaking of Fireflies, I just remembered I actually saw you there. You were doing some trivia from the stage. Oh my God! People yeah, were man, trying to stump world. you. I know. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Great ribs so, too. <laughs> really good ribs. Yeah, I need to get back there for some barbecue. I have a cousin and uncle who live right in Marlboro, so I'll be. I'll be definitely wow. hopefully getting back down there soon for sure. Yeah, Steve Eulis, the famous rib guy, he's the greatest owner yeah. of fireflies. Yeah, yeah, very tasty. So, yeah, I wanted to kind of get into that. You've mentioned that. Um, so you've interviewed Ringo many times over the years. Um, you also got to interview George, I think, at least once back in the Wilburys era. Yes, uh, you know the sad part is, you know, first of all, I, Ringo was my favorite drummer in the beginning, but then I shifted to George. Uh, because I loved how George survived in the shadows of two of the greatest songwriters ever. So I became a huge George fan. So today George is my favorite Beatle. Uh, and I only got to interview him once in my radio career. It was over the phone. He was in Hawaii and we were told, you know, for the interview, he's named lefty. So you got to talk to him as lefty Wilbury, but then we broke out of that. And uh, so I started asking him, you know, How's your bandmates doing? How's George doing? So we did a, a reach around that way. Um, but it was one of the greatest uh, experiences of my life to hear that distinct George Harrison accent. 
and uh, saying my name. And uh, boy, it, that was great. And, you know, because of that interview, there was some discussion going around that, he, you know, he, want, he would sign some albums for us because of the interview. And so uh, the record company guy, you know, took the albums, sent them to Hawaii where he was, and we got a we got them back autographed. And in fact, here's my uh, this is one he autographed for me, help oh, autographed man. by George right there. And that was one of the greatest gifts to talk to him and to then to receive. We received about six of them, but there were a bunch of people involved in arranging it, so everybody got an album. I could wow. have been I could have been rude and taken them all, but uh, no, Just I left, them, yeah, yeah, I left with one, so I'll that take so, one. That is so cool, Chachi. Wow, that, yeah. Hello, Chachi. You know, do you have a George impression? <laughs> uh, hello, Larry. You know, and the, I was oh, born with Larry. Chachi came around '83, and I was kind of at that point. I was like kind of embarrassed to say my name was Chachi to George Harrison. I should have, uh, because Ringo plays around my name, and certainly Paul. You know, I interviewed him many times as Chachi, but in the interview, he calls me Larry, and that was just one of the greatest gifts. You know, he was awesome. He was so funny and kind and easy with his time and uh didn't look at the watch you know with ringo and i love him you know you have 10 minutes chachi and then once it hit 10 that was it you know but that's fine uh, i'll take anything i'll take a minute i'll take 10. yeah well i'm always keeping time chachi peace and love peace and love i have to keep you have nine minutes now chachi you better make the most of it i know one time we were talking and he goes you know chachi i'm gonna get up i have a drum kit back here and i'm gonna sit back here and i'm gonna say Goodbye, Chachi. And they, the tape just stopped. He was gone. So he didn't get, he didn't play, but it was funny. Wow. So where, where can, I don't think I've ever listened to your George interview. Is that available on YouTube or where can people no, find it? Yeah, you know, it isn't up there. Um, and I should put it up someday. Sometimes I play it, but it's in the archives. It's, I have not replayed it. I don't have it on YouTube. I certainly should do that. And I appreciate you telling me that. And I, I will probably do that. And you know what? I can send it to you too. So. I would love that. That's so special. I mean, um, it's interesting you say George is your favorite Beatle. He's Eric's uh, favorite Beatle, my twin. Um, so maybe next time, if we do this again, we can Eric can tell you about that. But um, I would love that. I would love. Yeah, that. I mean, George. Yeah, he was watching the um, the Jacksons um, uh, Peter Jackson documentary series Get Back. You really see George trying to come into his own during those sessions and, and struggling with Paul. And it was really just like being a fly on the wall, man. And, and it's amazing to see the um, those tapes resurrected in such a way where it just gives you a completely different vibe and, and feeling compared to how, how the original, um, you know, documentary was, was supposed to play out. You know, it was, it was incredible to see that it was like a, a, a glimpse into, into history with completely different eyes. Yeah. You know, back in the it was wild. And back in 1970, when Let It Be came out, I went to see it in, in Fresh Pond uh, in Cambridge, Fresh Pond Cinema. And it was so dark and dreary and sad. And we were all sad in 1970, yeah. you know, when that came out. Uh, and, you know, one of the, you know, some good things came from COVID. But one of them was the fact that I became uh, friends uh, with Michael Lindsay Hogg and uh interviewed him four times with this fellow named plastic ep i don't know if you ever heard of plastic ep on youtube no he's i don't an, think i have That's he's an awesome. australian he's an australian guy who started pod uh, broadcasting uh on facebook uh during covid and uh all the time like broadcast 
interviewed everybody all the time. And now he's almost up to 1,000 interviews. And so he called me one day. I heard so much about you in his Australian accent, asked me to do an interview with him. And then we did a bunch of shows together. And he reached out to Michael Lindsay Hogg, and we interviewed him four times. And it's on YouTube. And Michael Lindsay Hogg is such a dear guy and such a uh, funny man. Uh, talked about the Let It Be experience, talked about the Peter Jackson experience. And so there's four interviews out there with Michael. And uh, what a great guy. Lives in uh, upstate New York and a uh, really kind gentleman. So it was, a, it was an honor to talk to him four times. Pretty amazing man. Wow, that, that's unbelievable! You're you're really like the Beatles whisperer, Chachi. That that's going to be your new. Uh, that's going to be the new name. I mean, uh, you know, on. I'd say other than John, you've pretty much interviewed all the really major players, including the the at the time the three surviving Beatles. And um, you know, you mentioned Ringo. When did you first interview Ringo, and how did that come to be? Was that during like the All Star era, or that was the very first uh, tour for the All Stars at Great Woods? It was called back then in Mansfield. Oh yeah. 20,000 seat venue. Uh, I was backstage with Ringo and talked to him live on WBCN. It was uh, an amazing experience. And I think um, one of the things that happened was he, he found my name funny. And he always teased me about my name. He go, you have a weirder name than I do, Chachi, Chachi, Chachi. So we do all these funny things on the phone uh, <laughs> during the broadcast. And what that led to was every time we met he remembered me because of my name if it was larry he was like oh larry who's that but yeah. he always remembered chachi and you know you talk about john you know i grew up um listening to wbcn radio i'm sure you probably know about bcn being from the area ground oh, yeah. groundbreaking radio station and uh you know i i worked at polaroid in the 70s and you know back then if you worked at polaroid you were set for life you know you didn't have to find another job anywhere. You'd be taken care of. You'd have a pension. And so I left Polaroid in 81 uh, and got a job at WBCN. Just so it was like a blessing. And by that time, John was already gone. And But you know what? When we lived in 75 to, 70 to 80, being from Boston, Massachusetts, John was just four hours away in New York. And That's he was just yeah. walking the streets. And I always said, you know, one of these days... I'm going to go to New York and hang out at Dakota and John will come out. He meets people. He signs autographs. He goes to his favorite deli for breakfast and, and, uh, and I never did it. And then uh, you know what happened in 1980. So now I, I missed the chance of interviewing John, but interviewed Yoko many times and interviewed Julian a few times. And, uh, but never, never had the chance to interview John, which would have been out of this, you know, it would have been amazing. So. Never yeah, I, I think that's one of the reasons why he left England and, and why New York appealed to, I think, maybe Yoko first and then then to John, um, mm -hmm. was he could just walk around and nobody really bothered him. And it's crazy to think that he didn't have any security in New York City. Like, no. obviously, it was a different time. But, um, yeah, I was reading a story recently about that fellow who, who um, posed as, like, a VCR repairman and got into the Dakota. Oh. And, yeah. Oh, Paul Gresh. 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 Gresh, yes. Agoris, yeah. maybe. Something like that. Yeah, I, I think he passed recently. So, I mean, if you definitely if you went during that era, considering he wasn't really actively making music until Double Fantasy, you you definitely would have been able to meet him and see him. So, it's yeah. it's a wild, speculative uh, fiction, almost, uh, type thing that, that easily could have happened. 
Yeah, and you know, look at the guy. Look at John. He's the guy poses a VCR repairman, and you would have immediately thought this guy's a stalker. But John became friends with him, and and even used one of his photos, I think, on a forty-five picture sleeve. Um, I think that's right of him and Yoko walking out of the the Dakota. One, he he likes his photos so much, he actually used it on the on the album cover. Yeah, back sleeve. Yeah, and God bless Paul, and that shows you, you know what john was like you know it's pretty and there's this old paul story of back when he was recording with the beatles and the guy showed up at his door and said you know paul said who are you and he goes my name's jesus christ and he took him to a recording session and the beatles said why'd you bring this guy and he says listen he said he was jesus i can't take a chance you know so you get those kinds of stories but uh, yeah it's a true story but uh but yeah john and and paul that was great paul gorish and uh, you know, interviewed Ringo a bunch of times, and had the privilege to be with Paul uh, uh, quite a few times. Even had dinner with him and some friends in New York one day, and oh, so that man. was pretty really? amazing. Yeah, you know, it's um. Was it vegan? Was it a vegan dinner, Georgie? You know, I don't, I don't <laughs> recall. I was too nervous. I had a salad, but it, oh, it good, was, um... not, it's not going to have any meat, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I interviewed I have interviewed Paul in 86 around the Broad Street movie, Give My Regards. And then, um, you know, one of the things that I've done, and I hate to talk about me so much, but um, being in WBCN, I, I was a DJ, but I was also the marketing communications director. And um, so I was on the air and and I was introduced by by an album that came in the mail tony bennett the art of excellence it was a beautiful album i loved it and and so i i asked the program director hey do you mind if i play a tony bennett song and back in the 70s and 80s in bcn you could play anything before before things change where you had to stay in format yeah and so um so i played tony bennett he caught wind of it through his son who manages him danny and they reached out we became friends and still to these to this day you know 30 plus years later i'm friends with tony and he's taken me to so many places the white house the super bowl london and one of the things he through danny and tony i got to meet paul many times and one of them was dinner with friends after the carnegie hall uh classical music show that he put on um and he was in the audience and we were invited to uh john eastman's home for dinner wow and so i went with danny bennett and we went to the Upper East Side, and and John lived in this huge high-rise, police everywhere, and we walk in, we get in the elevator, we go up the elevator to the top floor, the door opens, and you're in John Eastman's living room. The door just opened, and all kinds of celebrities were there, about 10, 15 people, and then Paul walked in, everyone gave him a round of applause, we all sat down, had dinner, and one of the things I did, you know, because you couldn't, the, the great thing was, it was Paul with his friends. It wasn't him with any guard up. It wasn't him with fans. It was with his friends. So it was Paul in a way that I would never be able to see. And so it was really a, uh, an amazing thing. So we never took pictures or anything, but what I did take was the uh, napkins with the Eastman, uh, oh, cool. you know, thing there, logo or whatever it's called. And yeah. so this, this is my only proof that I was there. Now this is like Linda's family, like Linda Eastman's. Yeah, John. Right? Yeah, Linda's brother. Okay. Who was Paul's attorney. Oh, okay. Is it, yeah, is it the father was Lee and the son was John? I yeah, think. I think Lee Eastman was the father, and he was he was going to be the lawyer or was for a time towards the end yeah. of the Beatles, right? Yes. yes. 
Wow. So you're at the Eastman compound in New York City with Paul McCartney and, and Tony Bennett and Tony Bennett's son. Tony wasn't there, but Danny was his son. Wow. But also, but Conan O'Brien was there, Lorne Michael, Alec Baldwin, and the list. I mean, it was just giant, long, very old dining room table, white glove service for dinner. So that was one time. And then uh, Paul played a show for Tony at his um, music school. You know, Tony opened a music uh, art school in New York City called the Frank Sinatra School of the Arts. And Tony bankrolled it along with donations, and it, it became part of the New York school system. It's still there. And Paul agreed to do a private show, and I was invited to that. And we hung out backstage with Tony and his family and Paul. I took pictures of Tony and Paul, and it was another situation where it was just the easy, laid-back Paul McCartney. And that experience was crazy. You know, so and I've interviewed I interviewed Paul in 1990 at Sullivan Stadium in Foxborough. Uh, so there's a lot of periods, times throughout my years that I crossed paths or interviewed Paul. And that was a phenomenal experience. It was wow, just a laid back like, guy. Yeah. Like, let me show you this. Sorry to leave the camera, but this oh. is this is me and Paul and Tom Sandman, who worked at WBCN with me, and that's us in New York City at the Park Plaza, interviewing him after the "Give My Regards to Broad Street" album, and then during that interview, he autographed some sheet music for me. Oh man, that is so cool! Yeah, wow. so that was that was amazing. You know, it just I mean, just that know, is like a once in a lifetime story for anybody. But the fact that you've been able to hang out with Paul a couple times and then have this beautiful friendship with Tony Bennett and uh, um, I thought it was really, really um, uh, emotional and and uh, inspirational to see Tony Bennett rise recently to do his final show with their their Lady Gaga was there and he remembered all the words and he just the music just flowed through him and he might you know obviously struggling with I think dementia. Um, and to see him light up with the music and remember the words and, and just give an amazing performance was incredibly inspiring. It is truly amazing. That's the power of music. And um, my beautiful bride, Stephanie, and I, we went to the third to final show. He did a, a small show for MTV Unplugged, which ran after the Radio City shows on television. And it was a very small, uh, close environment stage in the round and we saw tony and gaga and yeah you he just the music just takes him which is fantastic and we love tony god bless him and and we pray for him every day he's such a he's done so much for me in my life it's i can't measure how much it meant to me it's he was that kind of a guy he never forgot that i was the first guy to play him on a rock station he, <laughs> he put out two biographies he wrote about me in both giving me the credit that he thought i deserved i didn't wow think it, yeah he was a very very kind man so oh I have another, I, how about this one um i kept this since i was a kid newsweek you know uh they were on the cover this is autographed to me by paul and ringo Oh wow, you got both of them. Yeah, I I you know, I it's the whole magazine. And I just, you know, when I knew I was going to meet one of them, I take it with me and Paul signed it first and then I showed Ringo, "Yeah, I'll sign it, Chachi." And so, yeah, this is one of my favorite <laughs> my favorite pieces. 
That's got two that. Beatles on it. Yeah. All right. Two so Beatles. I guess I should show you what I got here. Yes, I want to see what you have. All right. Mike. So this is my. I have a yellow submarine poster autographed by Ringo. Ah, and nice. he signed that for me. Um, it used to be called, I think, the Bank of America Pavilion. That's on, right. right up the tent there in the water. It, it was called Harbor Lights first, a beautiful name. And they took it away and put in, yeah, Harbor Lights. Right, before then. So so I was, let's see, 2003, that was, Jesus, 19 years ago. Summer of 03, I would have been, I don't know, I was in high school, 16, maybe 17. Were you backstage? No. So, uh, this, so what happened... Um, I went to the backstage area and I had, you know, I dragged that yellow serene poster there with me with a black Sharpie. And um, I was with my dad, uh, my dad, who was so instrumental in getting me into music, bought me my first drum set for Christmas, always supported me, came to my shows. I got to go to a lot of concerts with him. Um, so he took me to see Ringo and um, I went to the backstage area and I saw that Ringo was just behind the fence there. You could kind of see him. So he was maybe we were like 10 feet from each other, but there was a there was the gate, you know, the fence that separated us. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, I love you, Ringo. He's like, I love you, too. And and there was this woman who was going. She had full backstage credentials and she was walking to the backstage area. Me being a kind of a, I guess, more gutsy, you know, young teenage boy at the time. I was like, I know you don't know me, but is there any way you could bring this to Ringo? He's right there and just have him autograph this for me. And she kind of like at first was kind of hesitant, but she's like, all right. Okay. So she took it, walked right backstage and I could see Ringo autograph it for me. And then she brought it back. And That's fantastic. You know, yeah. that could have, that could have been the same show that I was at where he signed this, a, uh, a Beatles, uh, CD. Look oh, at wow. That. I love the CD. And he signed it. Uh, he did the star on yours, huh? Yeah, he one? did. Or did he and write Oh three on that one? Cause I know he, he nope. puts the, no, okay. He but didn't write any date on it. And uh, wow. we're backstage with Lee Stocky. She was there. Maybe it was Lee Stocky, you know, that got his daughter. Autograph. Yeah. Yeah. It could have been. She was at that show. Wow. I, I don't, you know, and and then we went another time in 06. And um, I think the it happened again. We had gotten to sign a couple albums for us and for a friend. And it was, I think, his longtime assistant or secretary who was living in the Boston area. So you might even know that person. I don't know mm. if you know. If that sounds familiar to you, but no, that's a uh, that's a story I'll never forget. And um, I saw well, I that you were. What was oh, that? No, oh. I remember. You know, with just like your story, there was a person there with a big gold record, the kind you buy at the mall, right? With the you know, not really a gold record, not certified, uh, and he refused to sign it because it it, it was a phony. And oh, really? Yeah, like his road manager brought it back. And then uh, he brought it to Ringo, and then Ringo, the guy came back and said, "I'm sorry, Ringo won't sign this. This is a fake. It's a phony, wow. you know, because the the uh, the platinum albums, all those albums, they come with the RIAA insignia. That's what makes it real, authenticates it. Yeah. Yes. And so uh, here's um, Sergeant Pepper. They the the record label made this for me as well, back in the day, and made out to me. So these are real when it has the RIAA symbol on it. The others in the mall, they're worthless, you know? Yeah, they're just cheap, probably knockoffs, basically. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. People making money off the Beatles uh, and Ringo sent it right back. But I interrupted you about to say something. I apologize. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I, I noticed too. So I did get to see Paul McCartney at Fenway this summer. and oh, um, not the I greatest? Noticed, 
you were there. Yeah, yeah, that was that was unbelievable. And you were doing a pre-event, I think, up the road. Um, did so? Did you get to see Paul? Did you get to go backstage or see him this time? Or I did see the show, and I thought he was fantastic. I thought that was one of the best Paul shows. I saw him in '76, The Garden, Wings Over America, nice. and and all kinds of times in between. Uh, but I thought this show was mixed great. He was energetic. Uh, they did a great job with his voice, and the band was fantastic. And you were there three hours, 35 songs or so, and didn't even take a break. I mean, the guy's unbelievable. Yeah, and, it, it was. I, I So I got to take my mom. This was her first time ever seeing any of the Beatles, and, and that was uh, that was really cool. She doesn't get out to a lot of shows, but um, I really enjoyed what they did with, like, the, the porch and when they did In Spite of All the Danger. I thought that was... Uh, that's really yeah. cool. That's kind of an underrated gem, that, that tune. It That's totally cool is. And and you're right. We did a party right across the street at the Verb Hotel, a little pre-party for both shows. But because of COVID, no one was backstage. Uh, yeah. You know, unfortunately, COVID blew a lot there. It and, did, man. Uh, yeah. It sucks. And even with the Ringo show, I usually meet him. You know, he played the Wang Center, and I usually get to meet him because I know his road manager. I know his production guy, local guys. And... um because of COVID, they wouldn't let anyone backstage. But you know, uh, Edgar Winter and and uh, another band member got COVID, so they canceled the tour. And and then he got COVID, and they canceled the tour. But they're back on the road now, which is great. Yeah, Ringo just had it last week, right? But now he's, yeah. he's uh, negative, and he's, he's feeling. And look, I mean, he does. Eighty-two years old, he looks like he might be sixty. <laughs> he both it's of crazy. them unbelievable. Yeah, I don't know if you saw yeah. the, the picture of on, online of Paul standing on his head. Uh, I did you know. see that. Yeah, in the living room there by the TV. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, you you got to be a special kind of guy to be able to do that. And he's certainly he's a vegetarian. He he does yoga. He does all that stuff to keep him healthy. I'm sure Ringo does the same kind of thing. He has a personal trainer. You got to do it. You know, as we get yeah. older. So good. I for think both Ringo has said too that he stopped drinking alcohol in the '80s. So I think he's probably been. And you know, Paul, of course, I I don't know that he's a big drinker. Or, but yeah, no, I mean, obviously those guys have taken really great care of themselves. And mm -hmm. um, you mentioned Great Woods earlier. So I never got to go to Great Woods. I was supposed to see Electric Light Orchestra there in 2001 with my dad, but they actually canceled that tour because of lack of ticket sales, if you can believe that. I can't. And now ELO is like bigger than ever now. And um, so that's Jeff Lynn's on my list, man. Like, um, to see, I've, I've never seen ELO or Jeff Lynn, um, but I did get to see. Uh, Brian Wilson, Al Jardine, and Blondie uh, Chaplin at uh, Great Woods. Well, I think it's uh, whatever it's called, Xfinity Center uh, yeah. this, this past July. And uh, they were on the bill with Chicago, and that was a great show. Well, I saw ELO in the mid-70s, uh, like 77 maybe, uh, at the Boston Garden for the uh, – wow. um, the, well, I forget what tour it was, but it was phenomenal. I'm a huge Jeff Lynn fan, and that ELO show, I'll never forget it. It was amazing, amazing. Yeah, I love how he came into the Beatles universe really through George, I think, during yeah. uh, Cloud Nine, right? George mm -hmm. was trying to figure out how he could get him to come produce, and it's like, are you kidding me? Jeff would be, obviously, as a huge Beatles fan, would be floored. So it's been really great and interesting to see Jeff work with you know, I think he did a McCartney album in the mid to late nineties um, mm -hmm. with uh, "Beautiful Night." Was that? Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the name of the album, but that song's on there. No, it's not the and name of the album, right? The, the album—I forget what the album. "Flaming Pie" is that the one he did? Is that? Could very well be. I think it's "Flaming Pie." Yeah, mm -hmm. and um, obviously, I love uh, Jeff Lynne's work on the reunion. I mean, "Real Love" and "Free as a Bird." I thought he did a phenomenal job on that piece and that yeah. together. 
Yeah, he did, and he worked with the Wilburys, and uh, and I think Cloud Nine is such a masterpiece of an album. And everyone, I always talk about it on my show. If you haven't heard the Cloud Nine album from start to finish, you're missing out because it's such a beautiful record. It really is. Yeah, that's the first George solo album that I really got into. Um, I, I bought it on CD. I had it on CD from a Strawberries. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and so that, I mean, that's cool to have that. Even have that memory. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. At this point. And uh, yeah, I got my mind set on you someplace else. Uh, Devil's Radio, Wemmy was fab. I mean, that, that yeah, just song for song, yeah. man. That that album is really underrated, I think. And then then the players he's got on it: Gary Wright, Elton John, Ringo, Jeff Lynn. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal I album. I remember when the album came out, we were invited to a castle. I forget where it was, but I still have the invitation. It was a listening party, and it was truly an amazing album. Wreck of the Hesperus. Uh, you know, just and I always tell people, listen to Cloud Nine. That's and it was great because George had a couple of bad albums there, you know, uh, but that one, you know, really raised his his stock, and it was such a great record. Yeah, that was his best era, I think, since All Things Must Pass. He really had a mm -hmm. resurgence, and um, Al Clapton plays the guitar on the song Cloud Nine. I think, I think he's on that mm -hmm. one, or does backing vocals mm -hmm. on the on the title track. Mm -hmm. And um, one of my very favorite George songs from that era is Cheer Down. I mean, oh, yeah. That's yeah. a that's an amazing song. Yeah, and what is that? In Porky's Revenge, I think, or something? Or a Lethal Weapon 2? Yeah, it was in Lethal Weapon 2, yeah. Yeah, yeah he did that one with Petty and, and Jeff Lynne. Yeah, Basically yeah. like a Wilburys track, pretty much. Yeah, and it's a beautiful track, so yeah, for sure. Oh, here's another piece of a collectible, like uh, my Butcher cover. Oh, that's rare, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing. I have three of them. It's amazing because they were all gifts, which is truly. Uh, wow, I, that's people, really cool. People throw around blessing a lot, but I'm just lucky. I was in the right place at the right time, and I was determined. So, you got to be. You got to act like you belong there, and sometimes like you own the place. Yeah, <laughs> in, in, in a in a genuine way. Yeah, not in a hubris yeah. kind of arrogant way, but I, yeah. I'm with you on that. Yeah, I um, I was at the House of Blues a couple weeks ago, seeing another great Liverpool band, uh, Echo and the Bunny Men. And uh, yeah, I, I, I've gotten to know their guitarist, Will, and he, he's just so cool and down to earth. And um, uh, I, I had him on the show, uh, this show here in April. And uh, he, he did the same thing you're doing, man. He had a collection of vinyl and he showed me he's got 30 David Bowie um, LPs that Bowie personally signed for him because he, he toured with Bowie. The Bunnymen were opening for Bowie in Australia in the 90s. And uh, Will had all of his Bunnymen uh, his uh, David Bowie album shipped to Australia, and and Bowie just signed all of them for him. So he was, oh my God, he was showing those to me, and he's like, he's like, yeah. And, and uh, I accidentally dumped an entire drink on David Bowie just after he put his costume on. <laughs> he, he dumped like a, I don't know a mixed drink or a beer on him, and he said he was really cool about it. You know, it was an accident, but and uh, he told me a funny story. I think it was around two thousand eight. When Liverpool was doing some kind of big celebration and they had Ringo was part of it. And they had, I think, Ringo up on this like drum riser doing a solo or playing something. And uh, the Bunny Men were part of that. And uh, Will got to go to Ringo's dressing room and uh, <laughs> he, he meets Ringo the first time he's ever met him. And he goes, he goes, will you play back off Boogaloo? And Ringo looks at him and just goes, F you. <laughs> oh, my God. You kidding? know, like just joking. But, but sure, yeah, sure, but sure, that's sure. that's. I thought that was a funny story, but well, um, you know, and that says a lot about Bowie that he would sit down and sign thirty, you know, all at once. I'm thinking, okay, he got him to sign one here, one there, a couple there, but all thirty of them. Good for him, and that's that says a lot about David Bowie. 
Oh yeah, yeah, another favorite of mine. And yeah, oh, I've met many times. You met Bowie too? Wow. Oh, yeah. Well, being at wow. WBCN, they all came through. I have pages of photos with presidents, uh, everybody. I mean, I've met a lot of people in my career, so I'm very. Who was your Who was your favorite, most memorable, other than the Beatles? Oh, gee, Elvis Costello. And you know, Brian Ferry. We just recently oh, Roxy saw music. Roxy yeah. Music. They just played Boston. And uh, uh, my lovely bride, Stephanie, and I went. We're huge Roxy Music, Brian Ferry fans. And what a great show. So, And I met Brian Ferry a couple of times. Fantastic. Wow, that's another another fellow who's probably pushing 80 and looks maybe, you know, barely 60. Yeah, he's about 77, and he was great wow. on stage. They played a great show, was sold out in Boston, and now they're, I just saw the other day they're in Scotland now continuing the tour. They went from the East Coast to the West Coast to overseas, but it was their 50th anniversary tour, and uh, I would love to see them again. They were that good. Yeah, I've never caught Roxy Music. I definitely need to see them at some point. So many shows, man. So many shows, yeah. so little time, and yeah. uh, so little extra spending money sometimes. You know, you yeah, got yeah. to kind know, of be picked. You know who I was with um, last week was Pete Best. Oh, yeah. He, he, this was his only American appearance, right? Yeah, yeah. Was that in Framingham or? It was. Um, Somewhere in Mass, Westford, right? Westford, Mass. Or West, yeah, Westford, Mass. Down by Worcester. Okay, and, yeah. Uh, it, was, it was the Super Mega Fest. And uh, I've known Pete for many, many years. I have pictures uh, with Pete from like 35 years ago. So we've known each other been friends for years and to see him again and hang out with him they had a birthday cake for him because his birthday's coming up in november and the guy's doing well and uh he he's a blessing he's a beetle you know Stu sutcliffe pete best john paul george and ringo you know once you're a beetle you're a beetle and he embraces it uh it was rough in the beginning for him i don't know how i would have been able to deal with that you know going through the 60s with the beetles just surrounding you everywhere you go um but he's done well and he's a happy man he's a happy family man grandkids and rogue uh, created the beatles museum and they have the casbah Heyman's green is still in its original form no kidding they're, yeah they're building a bed and breakfast from the from Heyman's green which was the name of, of his house but the casbah downstairs has never been touched it was painted by all four beatles pete john paul and george they decorated the walls, painted the ceilings, and you know what? The Cavern Club, right? They knocked it down. They didn't have any idea what it would mean in the future, and they rebuilt it down the street, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, but, but, Pete, but Pete and uh, the Casbah, they had the wherewithal to say, don't touch it. And now it's a major tourist spot. People go there and look at the art of John, Paul, George, and Pete all over the walls, and and so Pete was great. And you know what? Out of all the celebrities that were at the Super Mega Fest, he got the most action. He got the longest lines. He gave the most autographs. We hung out with him for the afternoon. And uh, we hung out at night and had a little birthday party for him. And what a, what a fine gentleman he is. Really, you know, great guy. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I met Pete back in 2008. He actually performed at... Um, my cousin's family's restaurant up in uh, Agunquit, Jonathan's up in really? Maine. Yeah, and he was he was there. Pete Best Band with Rogue on the other kit, um, and uh, it was it was surreal watching him. I was like five feet from him watching him play uh, "Cry for a Shadow" and "My Bonnie," and I was like, <laughs> and then I got I got a photo with him. I'll have to send that to you. And please he signed. He signed. I had the uh, 
Silver Anthology, the big book. Mm -hmm. I had him sign a couple of, uh, couple. Of, I think it was Astrid's photos from that book. Sure. Um, re really sure. nice, glossy, and he signed a few of those and an autograph for a friend. And he he couldn't have been more of a more of a gentleman and more friendly for sure. That's, yeah, that's and I all had, you hear about him. Yeah, I had him on the radio show, and he remembers everything. You know, he he remembered all the stories. He elaborated on the stories. Wow. And he's on a No Boundaries tour in the UK doing speaking engagements. And his No Boundaries tour is, ask me anything. I will answer any question. Don't <laughs> hold back. Because back wow. in the day, back in the day, you had to think, okay, I don't want to say that. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to upset him. But no, he's, he's currently on a No Boundaries tour. So good for Pete Best and good for Rogue. They were both in town for Super Mega Fest. And that was a lot of fun to catch up with them after all these years. And I got to tell you, I don't know if you ever heard the Heyman's Green album. I haven't. I've heard of it because that's the his band doing original stuff from like what oh six yeah. or something or oh eight or. And I I gotta tell you, uh, Mike, it's fantastic. Just listen to the title track, Heyman's Green, uh, or the song Broken, which is his story of being you know let go by the Beatles. And so Heyman's Green, I think it's a fantastic record. It was nominated for a Grammy, but it never made it into the second or third round or however the system works. Uh, but it should have because every song is strong. The lyrics are very revealing and honest. And the title track again, Heyman's Green, it's a hauntingly beautiful song. The song Broken, you know, which is about him uh, being let go is such a fantastic song. So I recommend it to everybody, you know, uh, Cloud Nine, Heyman's Green, you know, it's two great records. These are our somewhat obscure uh, Beatles, yeah. uh, you know, because obviously there's a lot of albums that get a lot of play, like Band on the Run, All Things Must Pass, Imagine. But there's so many tertiary albums that are actually really incredible, whether it's solo from the Beatles or, or in this case, a form, you know, Pete Best, the original drummer, um, mm -hmm. or even even their children. Like, I've really enjoyed um, Donnie Harrison's music and the work that he's done, you know, to preserve George's legacy is incredibly impressive. Yep. Um, and Julie, my favorite Julian album is a uh, photograph smile from like 98 that, that's an unbelievable album i mean he's you know um he obviously had some success in the 80s with valette and too late for goodbyes i think and salt water yeah, yeah, yeah but um that that's an underrated album if you've never really listened to that one yeah well you know, I, photograph I, smile. I i i had the chance to interview julian lennon um uh at the four seasons hotel when valat came out and um he played great woods and sold out 20,000 people no kidding uh, really yeah it was fantastic and we wow. interviewed him at the four seasons prior to the show and he was very very kind and uh autographed a couple things for me and yeah julian talented guy interesting story of his life you know um i'm just glad that sean and julian are close that's fantastic um, Julian is doing it. He just put out a new album called Jude. And so uh, he's he's a very very talented uh, man. So good for Julian. Love him. Love him. Yeah, I, I saw that that he put has a new album out. I, I need to check it out. Yeah, this this got, Julian. Damaged, this got damaged in in some moving, but nonetheless, it's a famous photograph. It's a little wrinkled. I screwed it up. But there's, uh, you know, you know that picture, right? Oh, yeah, with uh, Cynthia, John, and Julian, right? Yeah, right. So up top, Cynthia signed it. Oh, cool. Down below, Julian signed it. And unfortunately, the photo got a little damaged, but nonetheless, uh, it, it lives. 
Wow. But yeah, they, and Cynthia was the sweetest. Um, interviewed her several times. That's a, that's a strong woman. She's a beautiful lady, and she was so kind. Uh, so God bless Cynthia. Yeah, I want to read her book, Twist of Lennon. I think she wrote it. I think she wrote two books about John and about her life experience, and that must have been a fascinating interview. It was. Uh, I'm going to leave my chair once more. Okay. <laughs> Folks, he has a Beatles museum and archive in his uh, his room there down in uh, Massachusetts. Yes. He's got the Fort Knox of Beatles material. Oh, my God. I can't find it. I had a Twist of Lennon. Oh, cool. Autographed. No, not autographed. Somewhere. Yeah, it's all got, everywhere. The stuff's everywhere. I got to meet Sean um, in 2006 at the Paradise Rock Club when he was touring for his Friendly Fire album, and uh, in 08, 06 and 08, or no, 06 and 07, he was there. Wow. I saw him twice there, and uh, I, I love that album too. I mean, that's an amazing album. And um, he came out after the show and actually chatted with all of us and signed autographs and was just really friendly and and. Uh, yeah, it was it was a very surreal moment to see him and meet him, and because um, he really does remind you so much, obviously, of his father. But mm -hmm. you know, and that's that's got to be so tough, just always being compared to your father and asked about it. So I didn't want to ask him about that. I, I was just genuinely a fan of his album, and he did one in '98 called "Into the Sun," which I also liked. So mm -hmm. I think he liked being asked about that rather than being asked about his dad. You know? Yeah, and that's part of the reason because I've put requests in numerous times. And they don't necessarily want to come on a breakfast with the Beatles show. They think that we're going to talk about the dad. But you know what? I did see uh, Yoko and, and Sean at the Paradise. They did shows together. They went on tour together. And uh, so I was there for that. And I was backstage. And uh, the record company guy, he's passed on. Uh, God rest his soul. Great guy. Uh, but he also, you know, drank a lot. And we were backstage and he was drunk. Right. And so. Yoko's road manager came up to me and said, listen, Chachi, would you mind introducing Yoko and Sean to everybody? Because the record guy was totally blitzed from drinking. Oh, no. so Jeez. So I kind of ran the backstage, introduced everyone to Yoko and uh, Sean, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Wow, that's cool. We got a super chat here, Chachi. What do um, we got? JC wants to know your thoughts on Let It Be Naked. I love Let It Be Naked. I love all the alternatives. Uh, I, you know, we've lived with this music for so long, so I love the alternate versions. I love Let It Be Naked. It's a new perspective on something that we have lived with since, in that case, 1970. Um, so I enjoy Let It Be Naked. I think it's a, a great record. It's another look into, you know, that album. And it's a look into what, how Paul envisioned it as well. And so I do enjoy Let It Be Naked. I think it's a great record. I play a lot of that on my show. I play a lot of alternate tracks and, and have been playing alternate tracks for years. This weekend, it's our B-Sides show. And I, I, the great thing about the station I'm on, they, they have turntables. So we play vinyl. And I, I, this weekend, I'm going to play Beatles B-Sides from all over the world. I have a pile in the back here from Germany, France, Barcelona, Canada, so this weekend we play Beatle B-Sides, but Let It Be Naked, thumbs up. Yeah, I, I really enjoy the the take on Across the Universe on that yes. one. That's yes. really, that was really, you really hear, you really hear Lennon come through a lot more. And and uh, I wanted to get into Lennon a little bit more because obviously his birthday was um, uh, three days ago, the, October 9th. He would have been 82. Yep. And um, what's, uh, what's your favorite, what are some of your favorite solo Lennon songs? 
Well, I got to tell you, I think the Walls and Bridges album is one of my favorite John Lennon albums. I love uh, Stealing Glass, Old Dirt Road. Uh, I love the Plastic Ono Band, Mother and God. I love Imagine, Crippled Inside. I don't want to be a soldier. I don't want to die. And I even, and I, you know, I've interviewed Yoko a bunch of times, and and I even play tracks from you know, sometime in New York City. I love the Sometime in New York City album. And when that came out, it enlightened me to the political endeavors that John was involved in. He wrote a song about Angela Davis. He wrote a song about John Sinclair. He wrote a song about Attica State. And when I interviewed um, Yoko coming out of a song to go to the interview, she was listening, getting ready to talk. And I played Sisters, Oh Sisters, and We're All Water. And she was like blown away that I was playing sometime wow. in New York City. And I I love the record because I've always, I always enjoyed everything John did. I felt like I was, you know, he, he, it felt like he was inviting us into his world. And I always went in op with open arms. So I loved the Sometime in New York City album. Uh, so, you know. It's a, it's an astounding catalog. I wish it would have went on and on. I mean, look how many albums Paul put out. It could be very well could have been the same for John. Uh, yeah, and it was his birthday, and we do, we do a bunch of stage shows, um, theater shows. Yeah, you uh, did a day in the life of John Lennon this past weekend down in yeah. Boston, right? Or yep. And two weeks ago we were in Rhode Island. This past Sunday we were at the Regent Theater in Arlington. This coming Sunday we are in Danbury, Connecticut, at the Palace Theater, and I have a partner on stage. His name is Eric Taros, and uh, he is a Beatles film archivist. You should have him on your show. I can help you arrange it. He's he has one of the greatest private collections of Beatles and solo Beatles films. So much so, at the beginning of Get Back, you know, remember the collage at the beginning that goes through the career of the Beatles. Yeah. He, con he contributed some pieces to that. He worked with Peter Jackson. He wow. worked with he worked with Ron Howard on Eight Days a Week. He contributed footage to that. He worked with May Pang on an upcoming Lost Weekend film. He contributed a bunch of footage to that. He oh, did I want to see that. Yeah, I saw the yeah. trailer for that. Trailer's that great. great. Yeah. He, he worked on a Bee Gees film and a bunch of other films. So we do stage shows together and we've been doing them for several years. And we did My Sweet George for George's birthday. We did Maybe I'm Amazed for Paul's birthday. We did A Day in His Life, a John Lennon birthday celebration. And what, what we do is um, we take this rare footage no one has ever seen and we feature them in a show and we we play clips we discuss we introduce each clip have a little discussion play another clip so it's two hours of rare films that really you've never seen anywhere else rare footage concert footage uh, home movies and uh we have another show at the palace danbury this sunday so yeah he, eric taros beatles film archivist uh so if you can catch our shows you'll never see the stuff on youtube and if once in a while it's on youtube youtube it's never the same uh you know uh, f quality of footage than what eric has he really has an astounding uh collection of films so that's one show that i do and then i would do another show we're doing a residency at the city winery in boston and the second monday of every month it's an early monday night get together seven to nine and I teamed up with a really interesting guy, very talented guy. His name is John Logan. 
he's a magician, right? So he was on America's Got Talent and got a standing ovation, Howard Stern, all the judges, everyone in the theater. And he does some ama amazing magic. He's also a keynote speaker. He travels the country uh, doing keynotes for corporations and things like that. And so he was a fan of the show, young guy from Hanover, Mass., 28 years old, and he listens to my show. So he came to Maybe I'm Amazed at the Regent Theater where we did Paul footage, and he introduced himself, uh, followed up with an email, and says, you know, I have this show that I do. It's called Magic with the Beatles. And what he does is he has particular magic tricks, but they're infused by the Beatles. They're all Beatle-inspired, Beatles-infused, um, and so he says, you know, come to one, come to a couple of our shows. And, uh, and so Steph and I went and we loved what he did. He did magic tricks, but they were all Beatles inspired. He would tell the story of the Beatles and do magic tricks along the way. And he blew people away. So, uh, Steph had this great idea after he reached out because the winery reached out to me and said, Hey, Chachi, how about doing a Beatles trivia night? And so we, Steph and I talked about it and we reached out to John and we brought him into the fold and said, what do you think? And we created a series of shows called Come Together. And then the secondary title is alludes to what the show is. We just did um, John Lennon's birthday in October. Before that, we did a party on the, the night of the 58th anniversary of the Beatles playing the Boston Garden, September 12th, 1964. We had a great house of people. We had four women show up that were at that show in 64 and talked about their experience. They brought their ticket stubs. Great, uh, great event there. Last month we did John Lennon and we had Roger Farrington show up, who is uh, he's a photographer who was brought to the double fantasy sessions. The first guy to take pictures of John in the studio uh, since, you know, his house husbandry scene going on for five years so he was our guest showed some rare pictures so we have another one coming up november 7th where we're going to be celebrating the 54th anniversary of the white album and we're going to have fun with the paul is dead conspiracy which was around that time and so the winery in boston city winery booked us till december 2023 john logan me and we have fun doing magic telling Beatles stories and we have a record store that gives us all kinds of original Beatles vinyl to give away. So we have lots of prizes. So yeah, we have these, we try to externalize what we do on the radio show to get people together, to get them out and to be with fellow Beatle fans, like-minded Beatle fans. And it's, you know, it's a whole scene, you know, every, you know, of yeah. course everyone loves the Beatles and it gets people together. They tell stories and it's just really an, an amazing thing. So city winery, Boston, the second Monday of every month. And, the stage show with Eric and we'll be at the Danbury Palace Theater on Sunday afternoon at three o'clock for another John Lennon birthday event. Oh, I got to make it out to one of these sometime. Obviously, You're always invited. In or if you do anything in New Hampshire, I'm, I'm up in uh, Peterborough, New Hampshire. So, you know, we're looking for venues up in New Hampshire to bring our show. So. Are you? Well, yes. yeah, I know. I know a couple of places I can. I can see Please. if uh, we actually have um, a pretty legendary uh, town hall. I mean, where all the politicians speak at every cycle. Mm -hmm. Like I've met mm -hmm. every presidential candidate there since the year 2004. Wow. And we have, we had, um, we have concerts there too. I'm trying to think who we have had recently. Um, I don't know if it was hot tuna or no, or canned heat. It might've been canned heat. So we have, mm -hmm. 
it's it holds like a thousand people and it's scalable so you can do something smaller or something bigger wow um, but that's cool man you're really keeping the scene alive with all that stuff and and you mentioned the um the Paul is dead conspiracy. When I was a kid, I really liked looking at all that, trying to find clues. Yeah. And but there's really a whole subset of conspiracy culture, like around the Beatles. And you know, during the two years of the COVID lockdown, we all had a lot of time on our hands. And I'd never really delved into the Paul is dead or or any of that stuff. And I did a whole deep dive into that and and found myself watching several hours of uh, <laughs> you know the Beatles. Anything from Paul is dead, you know, he was replaced. To the Beatles didn't write their own music. To uh, uh, it was a different drummer on the first couple albums, and I don't know how, how deep you've looked into any of that stuff. But I mean, there's a whole book on it, The Wall the Wall, was Wall, filled with all the clues. Some of them are pretty outrageous. Some of them yeah. are, you know, like one, they say that the one clue was the Yesterday and Today album because Paul is sitting in that in that storage chest, right? And, and how could that be a Paul is dead thing? Because right. that was yesterday and today in '65, right? And and so, um, yeah. But there's a whole book on it, and so we're, they we're talk building about Theo Adorno. And, we'll say that again. They talk about how Theo Adorno really wrote all their music, and and you know that <laughs> composer from the Tavistock Institute. I'm sure yeah. you've heard all that stuff. I have, I have. But <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna have fun with the Paul is dead conspiracy. But you know what? I, you know. It was an amazing time in 68 to 70 when that was going on because it seemed like Beatles record sales, well, you know, they were okay. You know, they were good. But when that conspiracy was revealed, record, record sales went through the roof. Everyone had to have really? the Sgt. Pepper. Everyone had to have the White Album, Magical Mystery Tour. They wanted to see the clues, you know. And so that was a big deal back then. We all knew wow. it was fake. And, uh, of course, it's, fun. it's, it's yeah, entertaining. It was, fun. Yeah. it was fun. And Paul's on Life magazine. Hell, uh, you know, if I was dead, I'd be the first to know, you know. <laughs> I love how he spoofed everybody, too, where he was like, he did a solo thing walking across Abbey Road. I think it was called Paul is Live. It was a live album. That's or something. right. And, That's yeah. right. With and, Martha, um, well, one of Martha's pups. That was one of Martha's pups. That was oh, yeah. The big, the big uh, uh, shaggy dog there, right? Yeah. That yeah, was I, one, of the, one of the babies of Martha. I got so, this yeah. one in the mail. Uh, not I read over the summer by Fenton Bresler. About oh. John Lennon called Who Killed John Lennon? Have you ever heard of that one? Or read no, that? I have not seen that. That came out in like 89 by a, a British author. And wow. um, it's interesting because Sean was mentioned it in the 90s in an in interview he did for some New York paper um, that he wasn't necessarily sure that, you know, Chapman acted alone or who actually sent him or what he was involved in. So mm. I've never, I never really looked too deeply in, into John's killing because it's such a, it's so sad and so ugly and, and, and so, so awful but i i read it i mean i don't i i think what happened was you know chapman was stalking him and he went to hawaii and then he came back and and he shot him and because 1980 because of that time and because like we said earlier john didn't have security unfortunately yeah. anybody could have gone and done that so it, it, it's yeah. like it's hard to accept and fathom but i but don't you know. know but you know what mike uh as we talked about earlier um he could walk the streets in new york because new yorkers didn't would never bother john it took someone to fly from hawaii right right that. a new yorker yeah. would have would never would never have done that and it was a terrible terrible time but there is a new book out uh by jay bergman uh, about uh, john this, this is a great book just came out lennon the mobster and, a, and lawyer and the lawyer and this is all about the morris levy john lennon story where 
uh, he sued Morris Levy for using uh, his music, uh, bad copies of his music, and, and they put it out on an album um, called Roots. Do you know that story, the Roots album? No, I don't think I know that no. one. Was that in the 70s? It was on TV. Hold on, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> for our listeners, Trachi is uh, looking for an album. <laughs> Back in the 70s, um, this guy Morris Levy ran Strawberries, you know, Strawberries Records. Okay. Oh. Yeah, it was his. And but he was also tied in with the mob. He was he was <laughs> the mob, a lot of people say. And um, you know, and he befriended John. And they've had a lot of discussions about working together. And so Morris Levy uh put out a John Lennon album, unauthorized. You could buy it on television. Back then, you could order an album on TV and order it COD, right? Remember, you give the mail cash on money. delivery. Yeah, That's correct. Yeah, and, <laughs> and he put out unauthorized with you know really bad recordings. John gave him a tape of really bad recordings of these oldies that he grew up with. It became the rock and roll album, but he but he made the songs better and put them in good quality. He gave Morris Levy a terrible tape. Morris Levy. Put it out on an album, used a terrible picture of John, and you could buy it on television. If you have the album today, it's worth thousands of dollars, right? Wow. And so this is what the story, this is what it's about, the book. And John wins the case, but here's the album. <laughs> oh, God, that is a terrible photo. <laughs> yeah, called Roots. Wow. And one of the things was John was to the to the judge, you know, I would never use this picture, first of all. And then he, on the back, Morris tries to sell his other albums. Oh, that's so cheesy. You know, and, and John, John said to the lawyer, I would never try to sell other albums on my records. Now, you know, Apple kind of, I mean, Capitol Records kind of did it, but it was other Beatle albums. It wasn't like a hard sell right you know, type the other beetle albums but this one he's you know soul train super tracks you know 20 solid gold hits so this is what the book's about and it's a really fantastic book and jay's gonna be on my show soon i'm a little late in interviewing him he sent me an email saying hey can we do the interview but that's all around this album uh that was unauthorized by john lennon they were pulled off the market they were taken off the television, but yeah, you could, you could call a number and they deliver it to you and you pay that's the a, mailman. That's a wild story. Um, another Lennon story that, uh, well, I really enjoyed the uh, documentary, the U S versus John Lennon and yes. really showing how I think the Nixon administration were really trying to mess with him and deport him and the FBI were spying on him. I mean, so it's like when you hear, you know, maybe the government had an ax to grind with Lennon, of course they did. I mean, he was, I, I read too. I didn't realize this. Lennon was actually going to be flying out to California to take part in a protest the week he was killed. Did you know that oh, story? No, I did not he, know that. Yeah, he was going to go with Yoko. I'll have to get the details on that. But yeah, um, yeah. I mean, certainly Lennon was. Uh, Lennon is my favorite Beatle. I, I, I think I told you, John's always been my favorite um, with the Beatles and his solo stuff. And I, I've always appreciated how. He really stood up to authority and questioned it, and he returned his MBE to, to the to the royals to, to yes. protest the foreign policy and the wars and the policies that were going on. And um, it, it, it would be it would have been really interesting and, and amazing to see what he would have done in the last forty two years. Yeah, you know, and that's well, you, that's. 
Well, you know, John hung around with some of those radicals, right? David Peel and all those guys, all those guys. And then, of course, the Sometime in New York City album, if you recall, there's a, uh, a doctored photograph right on the cover of Richard Nixon dancing naked with Chairman Mao. That certainly didn't help. But, you know, <laughs> That's so subversive. He's always so subversive. I know. And he really pissed off Nixon. But the fact that the Nixon administration would be afraid of John Lennon, you know, and I know he reaches so many millions of people, but for the Richard Nixon administration to be afraid of John Lennon and, you know, and John knew that they were tapping his phones and he'd see FBI people following him in his car. So, and he was paranoid by that, but, but John was hanging out with radicals, puts the picture of Nixon and Chairman Mao dancing naked on the sometime in New York City album. It's, he, it didn't help his case. You know? No, no. He, yeah, he already had a target on his back as it was, as a beetle. But then to really be speaking about those issues and really saying something, I mean, with this platform, it's, it's so ahead of its time and really such an incredible thing, you know, to do. I mean, he didn't have to do that. He could have just could have just retreated and, and uh, not ever said anything. You know, yeah, he could so, have been like the other three Beatles and just made albums and uh, didn't, you know, get political. But he was an outspoken guy, and that's what made John so special. He wasn't afraid of anything. The Bed In, certainly the Two Virgins album, and oh uh, yeah, you know. So, um, but God bless him, and that's what made John special. And yeah, you talk about returning the MBEs. You know, there's that famous story of John sending his driver to Aunt Mimi's house because Aunt Mimi had the MBE on display in her home. And his driver, you know, said, you know, Mimi, John wants his MBE. And she's like, well, what does he want it for? He goes, I don't know. He wants it. And so she said, you know, make sure he brings it back. And she had no idea. And she was so angry when she found out that John sent it back to the queen because that was Mimi. She loved that. Uh, oh, that, yeah. 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 And he, a lot of the proper British folks are. But I think he probably would have continued to be outspoken against the, the queen oh, yeah. and, the, and the crown. And um, I, I certainly appreciate Morrissey for that. You know, that's something that he's, yeah. he's always been <laughs> very upfront and open about how he feels about that. And, and uh, it's refreshing to see that. I, I think everyone has a right to their opinion, whether they're a private person, a, re a celebrity, a regular, whoever you are. And yep. uh, you don't always have to agree, but um, it's interesting when you see celebrities and especially musicians, you know, what they do with their platform. And I, I think nowadays nobody's carrying that flame more than like Roger Waters. <laughs> That's true. And, you know, listen, you go back to 1980, John had never known what a CD was. Uh, imagine what he'd be doing today with social media. And on our show, on our stage show with Eric Taros, we have footage of John talking about, you know, women's rights, uh, the war, you know, male politicians dropping bombs for no reason. And this is all vintage footage from 68 and 69. And you, wow. we, we watched it at our show. And it's amazing how it resonates today, how it's still valid today, sadly. And, and so, yeah, and that's how his material rings true even to this day. All these years later, it's still relevant, his lyrics and music and what he did back then, sending acorns to world leaders saying, we need peace. And, you know, watching this vintage footage from 68, it could have been today if, if he was still with us. It was that valid and relevant. Absolutely, yeah, and that's that's another thing that really inspires me so much about John is is how outspoken he was and unafraid to really 
really call out the real the real sources of power in this world. And I love his quote about, um, you know, I think the show is being run by uh, psychotic people for psychotic reasons and psychotic ends. Yeah. And we yeah. want to try and sell peace like we're selling soap, you know, like a product. Yeah. It was brilliant. Exactly. It was, it was uh, so ahead of its time. And I, and I really think Yoko brought a lot of that out in him. And I, I'm really glad to see history has kind of turned in the other direction on Yoko. Um you know, it's like, oh, Yoko broke up the Beatles and she was a bad influence and she was this and that. It's like, no, she was a an artist, a cos cosmopolitan, worldly, um, you know, person who who was like seven years older than John and had already been married and had a kid. And and uh, I think really opened him up a lot in the artistic realm and, you know, in, in just culture and politics and everything that was going on in the world. So it's uh, I'm glad that she's still around and still um the caretaker for, you know, his image and estate. And I think Sean's doing that more now. Obviously he's kind of stepped more into that role because, you know, Yoko is, I think, you know, getting up there in years towards 90 and I think yeah. he's had some health problems, unfortunately. That's right. That's but I'm right. glad to see like with Get Back that there's been the reassessment of Yoko's legacy in the whole story. Yeah. You know? there, were lot, there were a lot of smiles with Yoko and, and certainly she gets, she's gotten a bad rap in the past. Things have more understood now. And, uh, you know, and I always think about the fact that, you know, they met in November of 66, November 9th, you know, you can't even fathom that, you know, he met Yoko in 66, but you know, what would have been different this, you know, if, you know, he went to the Indica gallery, which was co-owned by Peter Asher and Yoko's art installation was there and he climbed that ladder with the magnifying glass, what would have happened if it said no? You know, right? <laughs> you know, it's because uh, it said yes, Chalchi. It said yes. That's right. And yeah. you know, you, <laughs> we, you know, listen. You can't think about what ifs, but life might have been different today if it said no. You know, so yeah. But well, things, I think were, he, things happen for a reason. Yeah, it's it's wild, and he only he only lived four decades. I mean, he was a young man to accomplish so much and and get the message out. And I think he certainly would be talking about the insanity of our current nuclear situation on the world stage yeah and, and looking at it through big picture means you know mm -hmm. certainly the problems in the ukraine but what would have happened on 9 11 john would have been there helping donating money and certainly he donated money to the new york police department years ago to give everybody you know uh vests you know uh bulletproof vests so that's right yeah that's right so he, he did that and uh but what would he be doing today if dealing with the you know the war in ukraine which is just so dreadful um but um he's missed every day god you, we watch these films and his when he smiles and it was it's so sad and it, you know mike listen when you hear the footage the audio from december 8th still to this day you, you can't keep a straight face you know you yeah very, it very is sad. it's so fresh still yeah, I mean, I wasn't even around for another six years, and I, I just, it bums, it's always bummed me out, you know, to, yeah. to, to watch the coverage. And um, But it's inspiring to see everybody who gathered outside the Dakota singing Give Peace a Chance and his songs. And I think that still resonates to today, and, and that message will always be around as long as there's, you know, people to remember the music. And um, I love the, uh, I think probably one of my favorite Lennon solo tunes is Watching the Wheels. I mean, oh, that's yeah. what it, that video too, man, just him walking around with Sean and, and Yoko and uh, just trying to 
it's just basically footage of him being a normal dad, you know? And, and yeah, uh, you know, and Mike, isn't that the way that's the biggest question everyone asks me? I'm sure it's for you. You know, what's your favorite Beatles song? What's your favorite John Lennon song? Yeah. It changes every day. It does. You know, <laughs> you, you hear a song and you go, oh no, you know, that's my favorite song. And that was the power of John and his music. And uh, from, from his first song that he wrote in 57, Hello, Little Girl. Uh, to the very last song he recorded, whether with the Beatles, I Want You, or his solo catalog. He had such a brilliant canon of music. He was so talented uh, growing up the way he did um, to find that talent and, and make it happen. He became what he wanted to be. He wanted to be bigger than Elvis, and it certainly happened. Yeah. Well, we're over an hour here, Chachi, and before oh we wrap God. up, yeah, I know it's it's been it's been great, man. I've really appreciate. It's really great to talk to you and and someone who's, you know, keeping the legacy of the Beatles alive and and having it accessible for everyone here in in New England. Uh, you know, given how precarious the world is right now, it's really it's it's a nice thing to have. And um, but I wanted to ask you, kind of shifting gears, I I mentioned to my friend Justin Martell, who was who wrote the official biography on Tiny Tim. That you you had Tiny Tim on once, or you met him or interviewed him? Do you uh, want to yeah. share Tiny, that story? Or Tiny Tim was fantastic. I, I have pictures with him, him in his shopping bag, and uh, he, at, when I interviewed him, uh, and certainly I saw him get married on Johnny Carson with Miss oh, yeah. Vicky, and I bought the Tiptoe Through the Tulips forty five when it came out. He was such an interesting character, and you know, Mike, he's in the. Uh, Beatles Christmas message, I think 69, maybe with George in a hotel room and he sings Nowhere Man. That's right. Yeah, with the yeah. ukulele. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and uh, the Beatles were in the audience at his Royal Albert Hall show, right? That he did. Oh, yes. I'm yes. pretty sure it, two, two or three of them were, John and George at least. I think you're right. And uh, interesting man, just a childlike guy, sweet, innocent man. Uh, I had so much fun with him. You know how I, where I met him was at Spooky World. I don't know if you remember Spooky World. I do. Yeah, I do remember in that. Hudson, right? Yeah. And that, uh, my, wow. my friend, yeah, my friend David Bertolino, who who opened it and ran it, uh, he booked Tiny Tim, and we were there broadcasting live. I got to interview him, and uh, a gentleman, interesting man. You know, he had his. Uh, he had his issues going on here and there, but certainly that shopping bag told a lot of stories, what was inside. But what a great man. I really enjoyed. Uh, he was fun on the air, playful. Uh, another great story, Tiny Tim. Yeah, he, he never gave up trying to reclaim, you know, a shot at uh, a comeback. And um, it was it's cool to see him in the intro of uh, Private Parts there backstage, the Howard Stern movie. You know, <laughs> right. his, his appearances on Howard Stern were always <laughs> were always oh, entertaining. But brilliant, <laughs> brilliant radio. You know, and Howard always asked the right questions. But and he would talk about his, you know, the, the male diapers or whatever he was doing. He had these products that he his always lotions, used. Yeah, his lotions <laughs> and. You know, and Howard brought all that out. But you know what? He was open and he just said, yeah, this is what I do. And uh, interesting guy. God bless him. So many yeah. people, great people have come before us, Mike. And they I don't know, make uh, celebrities like they used to and musicians like they used to. But no, uh, that's yeah. very true. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, if, you ever, if you ever get a chance, Justin's book is fantastic, too. It's called Eternal Troubadour. Um, oh. about, about Tiny. Yeah, it came out in 2017. I want to read that. I want to um, read that. It's authorized. It's the only authorized uh, Tiny Tim uh, biography by his estate. I think by his third his third wife, who he was married to when he passed in '96. 
Well, yeah, I wrote uh, it down. I'm going to go pick it up on Amazon. That's fantastic. And thank cool. you. And I, I, I do want to say that um, I was thrilled when you reached out. Uh, sorry not to be with your brother, Eric. Maybe we can do it again sometime. But you oh, know, I'd love to. Um, let's keep in touch. Um, I'll hook you up with Eric if you want to interview him. He's a world of information. And uh, maybe we'll come to New Hampshire with our show. And I'm always here for you, Mike, if you ever need anything. I enjoyed the conversation. And, Jesus, I can't believe an hour and 15 went by. It's that much. Yeah. Time. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Chachi. I appreciate you, it. And folks, you can listen to uh, Chachi in Boston at 91.9 uh, and on the New Hampshire Seacoast at 92.1. Uh, the Breakfast with the Beatles podcast is available where all podcasts are. And of course, you're still doing the Get Back to the uh, Beatles podcast. That is correct. Next guest will be Jay Berg, and I'm, I'm late, but uh, Lennon, the mobster, and the lawyer. Good book. Fantastic. All right, folks, thank you so much for watching Jackman Radio. We will catch you next time.